turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It is Thursday, February 22nd. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Coming up, student loan debt forgiven? Just canceled? Just like that? And what about this ballerina being detained in Russia? We've got a special guest to give us details and a solution to that. It's all coming up next. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. So you may have heard that the president of the United States, in spite of the fact that it is illegal, unconstitutional, and the Supreme Court told him not to do it, has found a workaround to relieve student debt for a certain number, quite a few American citizens. I would call this buying votes because what he's doing is he's saying, you know what, I will pay off your student debt. Well, it's not coming out of Joe Biden's pockets. Guess whose pockets it's coming out of? yours. You are a taxpaying American. And the money that you pay in taxes, you're hoping goes to services like, you know, defense and education and uh, Medicare, social security, all those things that we are taxed for, that they're good highways, you know, no potholes, those kinds of things, the basics. But no, now not only are you paying for illegal immigration to be taking over the southern border and even parts of the northern border, But you, your money, your taxpayer dollars are going to relieve other people of their debts that they took on. So when students sign off on, yeah, I'm going to have, I'm going to take out a loan. A loan means you're going to pay it back. But you've had all these demonstrators saying, cancel student debt, cancel student debt. You don't just cancel student debt. What the president is doing is taking money from one side to pay for another so that these young people with student debt, student loan debt, feel like, yay, the president helped us. Hooray. I've talked to some people who feel that way. It's really disappointing because they're looking at those of us who either didn't go to college, didn't sign up for these debts, or who paid our debts fully, paid our debts fully worked really hard to do so, they're taking our tax dollars and paying off other people's debts. Why are student loan debts any more important than the debt you owe on your truck or your commercial property or whatever it is you do to make a living? Why is student loan debt more important than yours? Well, the president has made a calculation based on TikTok and all other constituents, young, very young constituents, they want their student loan debt forgiven. Again, it does not disappear. Someone still has to pay off the debt and it's you. So these these people are getting out of paying their debts and you're paying it for them. I mean, this is like one of the most illogical, stupid things I've ever heard And yet some people are just fine taking that money from the government, your money, because 
you know, it's not like the government goes out and earns its own money. No, it's taxpayer dollars. It's your money. Look at your pay stub. Look at your pay stub. And you will see that the federal government takes out a bunch of taxes. And this is what they decided to use it for, at least a, a portion of it, to, to pay off somebody else's debt, to say that you signed off on a loan, you said you'd pay it back, but suddenly now you find this guy in the White House who's willing to do it for you. So you hold up a sign and you say, cancel student debt. And Biden says, oh, this is a good way to keep young voters. I'll cancel their debt. But it's not canceled. The universities are still going to get paid and they're way too expensive to begin with. And they're being paid with tax dollars. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to raise tuition even higher. Because as long as the government's willing to pay it off, heck, they'll charge you a fortune. This is such bad policy, it's ridiculous. I, I, I shake my head at anyone who thinks this is a good idea. So listen, I paid off all my student debt by myself, and now I'm going to put my two kids through school, and I'm going to do it by myself, and I'm not going to ask for loan forgiveness, and I wouldn't sign up for a loan that I couldn't pay and take responsibility for to begin with, and neither should these students if they can't pay them off. And by the way, the real problem is the universities. They are churning out students with degrees that don't get them anywhere. Degrees that aren't applicable in the real world. Ugh. I, it's so frustrating to me. Look, I say this all the time. My mom was a public school teacher. I have grown up prizing education. But the education we're serving up today ain't what it used to be. And it's proving to be somewhat worthless. And yet we're still paying tuition for it. There's got to be a change, and I'm a sea change, but it doesn't come from taking care of other people's debts. Okay, that's a little commentary from me. We have a ballerina of dual citizenship. She is American and Russian, and now she is in Russian custody. She's being detained. They say she's being detained because for treason, because she donated $50, $51 to Ukraine, the effort in Ukraine to fight their war against Putin. So she's now being detained. Beautiful young woman from Los Angeles went over to Russia to visit family, and now she's detained. She's joining Evan Gerskovich. She's joining Paul Whelan. She's now Brittany Griner came back, but we had to exchange the merchant of death to get her. So now what? Are we going to just keep swapping prisoners? See, this is turning into like a marketplace. So they take one of ours and we give them something to get them back. And then they go, oh, we need another one. But meanwhile, Paul Whelan is languishing over there. Evan Gerskovich is languishing over there. I understand why women maybe are prioritized because they're women. Uh, but... What are we doing? And in the meantime, I, look, I, I feel sympathy for every single one of them. And I think we have six Americans, at least of partial American citizenship or dual citizenship, I should say, American-Russian dual citizenship, six of them over there. This is the most recent. So now everyone's going to make an effort to, to try to get this woman back. 
She's a ballerina. She's small. She's fragile. She's all of those things. And so we're going to try to get her back. So what are we willing to give up? Well, this is this is not what America should be doing. Trading for hostages. Because you know what happens? You just wind up with more hostages. The policy on this has really changed under Biden, and it's not good. We've got an expert coming up. His name is Peter Duran. He is with the uh, Federation for Defense of Democracies, and he is going to be our guest. He's an adjunct senior fellow at FDD. He's the former president of the Center for European Policy Analysis. He specializes in Ukraine, Russia, and disinformation. He's going to be our guest. We're going to ask him why this is happening. And it seems the pace seems to be picking up here, if you've noticed, in the last few years. Why is that happening? Why is the Biden administration giving into this? We will speak to him, get some answers. That's right after this. Peter Duran, thank you so much for joining us. I thought of your organization because of an, a, a, we have another, I don't know if you want to call it a hostage, but a detainee in Russia. And this brings our total to one, two, three, four. I think there are six uh, who are U.S. Russian dual citizens who are being detained in Russia for trumped up charges. This latest, a ballerina from Los Angeles, uh, again, a dual citizen this is getting to be like um, more frequent, and it seems as though Russia thinks they've got a marketplace for this. What, what's happening? Well, Michelle, it's great to talk with you. I'm sorry it has to be under these conditions, but you're correct. Uh, look, Michelle, everyone knows this. If you pay for hostages, you create a marketplace for the bad guys to take more hostages. And the Biden administration has done just that. It has opened up a marketplace for American citizens that the bad guys can trade with us on. And as long as we continue to do this, the hostage taking will continue. And that's wrong. It is wrong. And the trading is wrong. And it seems not to be even trades as well. I mean, for Brittany Griner and you know, bless her heart. I, I don't want anyone detained over there. But, she, you know, she was used as a pawn and they got back some dangerous guys. And it, it, this is um, this is something that we've been warned about. We will not we should not bargain with these people who take, you know, over hostages. Why is Biden OK with this, do you think? Well, he shouldn't be. So, Michelle, to really understand what's happening, we've got to go back in time. We've got to get into a time machine, if you will, and go back to the early American Republic. And this number is going to wow you. Back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, the United States was paying pirates off the coast of North Africa 10 to $20 billion, that's billion with a B, annually to return the hostages that these pirates had taken. And Congress started thinking to itself, gee, maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore. And for 200 years, the policy of the United States is that we don't pay pirates for hostages. Now, jump forward to the summer of 1987. Michelle, maybe you remember that summer. It was the summer of the Iran-Contra hearings. This was I was huge. in D.C. I was there. Yeah. It was the biggest news event in America at the time. Millions of Americans turned in every day to watch what was going on. And what America found out was something very disturbing. And we learned this from George Shultz. And we learned about the Schultz Doctrine. And that Schultz Doctrine said, don't pay for hostages. Because if you do, the bad guys 
shockingly, are going to take more hostages. His famous quote was, Lord, save us from such bright ideas as that. And Joe Biden was already a Senate veteran back in 1987. Yeah, he's been in politics for that long, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden knows that it's a bad idea to, t to pay for hostages. And yet that's what his administration has been doing, not just with Russia, but also with Iran. And we are in this terrible situation today as a result. Yeah, you're right. I, we can't ignore that it's happened with Iran as well. So what has influenced him to do this? Is is this because, you know, in the case of Brittany Griner, professional kind of celebrity athlete, and now we've got a ballerina, this the, the word ballerina, you know, invokes this image of a fragile, beautiful young person, a young woman. And and that's what she looks like in pictures. So now you've got this this vision of this person facing years in a Russian prison, and it it dredges up a, a sympathy in us, a, a desire to save and rescue these people. Evan Griscovich, same thing, a journalist over there trying to do his job. Paul Whelan. So we go on and on. Um, do they take specific kinds of prisoners? I mean, she supposedly they took her because she donated $50, $51 to Ukraine to fight the efforts of, of Putin. Yeah, well, that's hogwash. I mean, frankly, they could have arrested her for jaywalking. Yeah. The overcharge is the point because yeah. it is so absurd. It's supposed to send a message. But think about the trade with Brittany Griner, right? So here we have the merchant of death in our custody, Victor Bout. Victor Bout was and continues to be a despicable human being. He's a bad guy if there ever was one. And Brittany Griner, well, we traded for her. She was a sympathetic American. She was a, someone who everyday Americans could find sympathy with. Now, should she have been taking money to play in Russia while Russia was at war with Ukraine? Probably not. Should she have had HTC vape cartridges with her in Russia? Probably not. But it really didn't matter. They took her as a hostage and they traded for her. Now, Putin needs more hostages. What has he done? He take he took Jean Gershevich, and now he's taken poor uh, uh, Ms. Carolina. Now, let me stress here. It was a mistake for her to go to Russia. The State Department has been warning Americans, don't go to Russia. And if you're in Russia, get out now. So yeah, she went to Russia. And when a lamb, she really is a lamb, goes into a den of wolves, wolves are going to feast on that lamb. It was a mistake. But this is where we are. Frankly, we need, uh, instead of trading for hostages, we need a much stronger policy approach to Russia, far stronger than, frankly, what we fielded so far. So what would that policy entail? You know, you're an expert in this field. You, you know what drives Russia. I, I, I think bullies only respond to other bullies. What needs to happen? Well, Michelle, here's the frustrating part. Our rhetoric on Russia, our rhetoric on sanctions is actually quite good. We have the Biden administration leading out after Russia, for example, invaded Ukraine in February of 2022. And they said, we are going to impose swift and severe sanctions, the likes of which we have never done on a country like Russia before. All right, that was encouraging. And then they did. But then they started walking it back. So, for example, there was going to be a total ban on Russian exports of oil and natural gas, Michelle. This is how Russia makes the money it needs to fund its war and do terrible things around the world. Well, in, um, I'd say, December of 2022, 
the White House got together with the G7 and they said, you know, if we really do this, oil prices could go up. So we don't want to do that. And so they created this whole network of exemptions and loopholes so that Russia could continue to sell oil and make money to fund its war machine. Well, that needs to stop. Frankly, if we're going to send a message that says, no, Russia, you have to stop. We need to have bolder and more spectacular demonstrations of American economic power, because that's something that Putin responds to. Our sanctions and, and, and withholdings. Yeah, it's stunning to me that it isn't happening. Uh, it's stunning to me that we talk a big game and we don't do it. And last night, apparently, in Los Angeles or somewhere in California at a fundraiser, President Joe Biden did some name calling of, of Putin. And Putin struck back saying he's trying to be some Hollywood cowboy. And this doesn't help anything. Uh, name calling doesn't make a difference. Action makes a difference. So what is the likelihood here? Now we're heading to an election. We see that Joe Biden has backtracked on a number of his policies, policies about the border and so on, uh, in order to maybe win back some voters. He's certainly buying some votes with this student debt relief. What, what do you think he does with Russia in response to all of this as we head into November? Well, Michelle, it's clear that the president can learn some lessons. So think back to the tragic killing of Alex, uh, Alexei Navalny, which yes. uh, many of your audience knows about. Well, remember, back in the summer of 2021, Joe Biden met with Putin in Vienna. And he said, if Navalny dies in prison, there will be devastating consequences to Russia. Navalny died in prison. And Joe Biden's response, and I'll quote him here, was, well, that was three years ago. Think about the message that sends to a guy like Putin, who is a very capable and dangerous man to say, well, I made that threat three years ago. It doesn't count. Yeah. All right. So it looks like, and here's the silver lining, Michelle, in the cloud. It looks like the Biden administration realized how absurd that position was. So this Friday, tomorrow, they're going to announce sanctions and some form of economic penalties against Russia uh, in response to Navalny's killing. I'd like to see that oil price cap I mentioned, that mm -hmm. loophole that allows Russia to continue to sell oil and make money. I'd like to see that go away. Or I'd like to see it tightened to the point that Russia feels economic pain. Remember also, Michelle, there's the banking system. Russia still has banks that are plugged into the international financial system, and they use those banks to move dirty money around the world. We need to close that exemption on Russia. There's a lot of things we need to do. But I think those are two big wow steps. It would make the Russians go, wow, maybe the Americans are serious. Will they do that? Will the administration do that? It's hard to say because there's been a lot of big talk and not a lot of action. And Michelle, if we do one thing as Americans, we need to close the gap between our rhetoric and our policy impact on the ground. It's really interesting. Before we finish up here, we should address Ukraine and the, the war going on. As you said, it's been about two years now, almost to the day. Um, there's, we're very split here in America. And it seems to me we've been like this a long time on how we assist, how we participate, if you will, in these conflicts. You know, we got into World War II a little bit late and, but fortunately things turned out somewhat okay. We're, we've been sort of on the fringe of this thing. We have helped with supplying weapons, supplying ammunition, um, some supplies, that kind of thing. But there are a lot of people who say, don't give another dollar to Ukraine. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's being used. And by the way, we've got some major 
problems here in the United States. There's the other side that is saying, if we don't help bolster Ukraine's efforts, we are sending a message to, to Putin that he can go on to Poland and anywhere else he wants to go. How how should we be seeing this? How is the truth somewhere in the middle? What 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 policy do you think we should employ in this regard? Well, frankly, I think I think too many Americans have lost their bearings when it comes to Ukraine. Right now, in the national policy debate, we see a lot of people saying, "You know what? Ukraine can't win. It's time we we cut bait uh, and we we find a different option. We stop supporting them." Well, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. As long as a country is dedicated to not being exterminated. Michelle, everyone needs to know that is what Putin intends to do to Ukraine, to erase it from the map. As long as a country continues to fight, well, they're going to win eventually. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. The Taliban outlasted Russia and the United States. Look at what happened in Vietnam. Ho Chi Minh outlasted France in the United States. Think about Churchill saying never, never, never mm. to Hitler. And the list goes on. Vladimir Putin wants us to think that he is a student of history, Michelle, and yet he also wants us to ignore its lessons. Think about that long exposition that Putin had in the Tucker Carlson interview in which he goes back to events in the ninth century. Putin was trying to communicate to us a very important message. All countries which used to be controlled by Russia are in my domain and I'll take them back. That was the message of the Tucker interview. And right now, Ukraine is a, in his sights. But Poland, the Baltic states, our NATO allies will be next. If Americans are tired of endless war, if they don't like endless wars, then we have to slam the door on Russia's ambitions in Europe, in Ukraine. Otherwise, it's going to cost us a lot more in blood and American treasure in the future. I know that Russia and Ukraine are really your areas of specialty, but it does seem to me no coincidence that as this war uh, has gone along and the United States has not shown real toughness, real strength, real stamina, uh, that's when Iran proxies Hamas went into Israel. Is there a connection between these things? In other words, is the world looking at a very weak president of the United States and saying, now's our time? Michelle, that's that's correct. Think about how dangerous the world was before the United States became the dominant power. Well, a lot of these bad actors in the world, Iran, Russia, North Korea, and yes, China, are seeing America and they're asking themselves, hey, maybe, the, maybe now is the chance for me to push while there is a weak American president. Michelle, it's been said, and I think it's true, there's a reason why a lot of these bad actors were very hesitant when Trump was president because they didn't know how he was going to react. He might do nothing. He might drop a missile attack on your head. It was hard to say. That level of uncertainty kept everyone in their lane. But now, unfortunately, with the Biden administration, I don't see a lot of uncertainty. Countries and bad actors are calculating that if they do terrible things in the world, if they take our people hostage, if they execute uh, operations like the terrible October 7th attack on Israel, the response will be milk toast, And unfortunately, we're seeing too much of that. That's why I continue to stress the rhetoric is good. The speeches are good, but the policies aren't. And our enemies and rivals are taking advantage of that. And that that's what must change for the safety and security of all Americans, Michelle. 
<sighs> All right. I, I'll ask you this before I let you go, because I don't like ending on a, on a low note. What, okay. gives you, what gives you hope? What encourages you here in the near future about America and its place in the world? You know what? It's the lesson from Winston Churchill. And I'm really glad you asked that, Michelle, because uh, some have pointed this out, and I think it's a great example. Back in the 1930s, that old world of Europe was dying. That world was fading away. Right now in our present time, we're seeing the world of the post-communist uh, peace, the Pax Americana. Well, that world is fading away. And yet, in that moment of dire need, in that darkest hour, as it was said, Winston Churchill drew upon those old Victorian sentiments, those old things that made the British Empire strong. He drew upon what was good. He saved his country and he set the world up for a different, better future. It would still be one of conflict and, and struggle. And yet Winston Churchill was able to help guide his country through that very tumultuous time. As Americans, I think we should all think back to those elements that make us strong as a country, to draw upon those strong ideals uh, from our past and navigate this current transition from the old world of the Pax Americana to the new world of restive rivals who wish to do us harm. We can defeat them if we remember who we are, Michelle. Let's hope that we do. And let's hope that no one just says, oh, but America in the past was just a racist bastion and uh, leave it at that. I mean, we are, we're much more, how do you respond to that when people say the old America is just purely racist and oppressive? Oh, that's hogwash. Obviously, that is a idea put forward by people who believe that nothing good came from the United States. They have this fantasy of some idealistic utopia they can create. And all, the only thing standing in their way is to tear down the country brick by brick and erase the foundation from history. Nonsense. Yeah, nonsense. And let's hope uh, wiser minds prevail and those with a, a bigger, more hopeful vision prevail. It's been a pleasure having you, Mr. Duran. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I hope we talk again soon, Michelle. I, I would enjoy that. Thank you. You know, the, I've been away for a week. I've been in California dealing with the aftermath of the passing of my mom um, and, and getting ready to sell my childhood home and let go of all those memories. And it was a lot tougher than I expected, a lot more tough. And I think the reason was that I saw a lot of home movies and it reminded me of a simpler time in America, what seemed like a simpler time in America. When my parents just worked really hard to raise four kids and they did it on the salary of a teacher and an aeronautical engineer, and they instilled the values in us that I carry today. And I, I spent a lot of time feeling sorrow over the waning of those values in America. I, I, I don't know. I just see a lot of people willing to trade freedom and liberty for bigger government and socialism and Marxist values, quite frankly. And it's, it's, that part was part of the, the, the sorrow that I felt while revisiting my, my childhood past. So now we've got, you know, hostages that we're just willing to trade for. We've got Russia that we're willing to let sell their gas to finance their war. We've got a very divided country and all of it is adding to my sorrow right now. So I have to keep reminding myself what I remind everyone else every time I sign off of this show, and that is to be brave and do good. Continue to have courage, stand up for what you believe in, 
do good one little bit at a time. Whatever it is, when you're faced with a choice of whether to be nice or be a jerk, be nice, be kind, smile at someone today purposely, just one time, just one little good thing today. And, you know, you'll find that it changes the way you look at things and it will certainly change that person's day, whether you know it or not. So again, be brave, do good. Remember that you get what you vote for and we'll see you next time.